0: listening to the world is just a book away podcast. I'm James Owens, founder and CEO of the world is just a book away, a nonprofit organization on a mission to promote literacy and education by developing libraries and programs in disadvantaged communities around the world. For more information about the world is just a book away, please visit www.wejaba.org. That's w i j a b a My guest today on The World is Just a Book Away podcast is Jenny J. Ming. Most widely known for founding Old Navy for the Gap, Jenny grew the company as president to more than 850 stores with billions of dollars in annual revenue. Jenny's family fled from communist China to the Portuguese colony of Macau before emigrating to the United States when she was still a child. She has twice been named one of Fortune Magazine's 50 most powerful women in American business, as well as being named one of the nation's top 25 managers by Business Week Magazine. She is also a member of the Committee of 100, which recognizes Americans of Chinese origin with extraordinary achievements. In our conversation, Jenny and I discuss the importance of following passion and life interests in identifying and pursuing career goals. We also discuss the role reading, and one book in particular has played in her life, as well as her latest project, A Cookbook of Her Favorite Recipes. Today on The World is Just a Book Away podcast, I'm really delighted to have my friend and... uh, mentor and someone I have interviewed multiple times over the course of about 20 years, Jenny Ming, who is very well known for having founded Old Navy under the Gap and growing it into a multi-billion dollar corporation, and then also for leading Charlotte Russe and has been one of the leaders in retail in this country uh, for many, many years. Jenny, welcome. Welcome.
1: Thank you for having me. It's always fun to spend time with you.
0: Yes, and it's fun to catch up. It's been a while for us.
1: It is. I mean, I know I have to make a trip down to L.A. or you have to come up to San Francisco.
0: Yeah, and we'll make that a goal for twenty twenty. And you got it. As you know, I uh, every time I've interviewed you or we've done events together, I've always begun with the same anecdote. Well, except for the first time, of course, which is about the first time that I. <laughs> interviewed Jenny Ming which was probably in about 2020 uh, the first uh, senior executive I'd ever interviewed. She was uh, she was president of Old Navy at that time and I interviewed her It was such a great powerful interview. I had that's when we still use tape recorders. I interviewed her for over an hour. I got home, I turned the tape recorder on and silence. Nothing had recorded. (laughs) And so for my very first interview, I had the pleasure of calling Jenny's office and saying, um, Would Miss Ming mind redoing the interview it didn't tape? And the reason I love to share that is because A perceived bad can turn into a major good. And I think if that hadn't happened and you weren't kind and hadn't redone the interview, we might not have stayed in touch, become friends. You have been on the advisory board of The World is Just a Book Away. So the the bumpy start turned into a a decades-long friendship now.
1: I did. I mean, that's so true. You're right. Um, I've been interviewed many times, and I, I have to say, not many of them, you know, became my friend like you did. It's because maybe it's because how we got started, we became friends.
0: So, it, did did any of the other ones have to call you back and redo the entire interview?
1: No, you were the special one. <laughs> you were the special
0: one. I, I can't tell you how many people use those words associated yeah. with me. <laughs> and, uh... Jenny Jenny is uh, also in my book, The World is Just a Book Away, which, Jenny, we're really honored to have you in the book. And you were, in fact, one of the early participants. We, we were just looking at it. It's uh, back in 2000, actually almost, um, it was even in February of 2004, so 16 years ago. And you're so passionate about books and reading, and I just wanted to ask you, You talk about The Fifth Chinese Daughter uh, by Jade Snow Wong, and I just wanted to ask you if you could read for our listeners the first two paragraphs um, on page 146, the first two paragraphs of your submission.
1: Okay. Um, I believe that books travel with us through life. I'm a passionate reader, and many books have made the journey through life with me, grazing the shelves of the various apartments and houses I have called home. When I first read a book, or when I first read a book, I generally find that I only understand the aspect that related to my life up to that point. Of course, as I get older and have more life experience, I can relate to more aspects of the book I've read. I also find that each time I reread a book that has moved me, new elements unfold. And although I have returned to many of my favorite books through the years, one stands apart from the other, as a signposting the cultural lessons I've learned as I've aged.
0: Beautiful. And the book the book Jenny is referring to, as I said, is the Fifth Chinese Daughter by Jade Snow by Jade Snow Wong. And Jenny, why did that book in particular? speak to you as a child and then indeed i know you've you're reading it to your grandchild now through throughout life
1: well first of all it's the first book i've ever received in english uh i remember uh, you know i immigrated to the u.s to the bay area when i was nine and not speaking one word of english um so and you know going to i was in fourth grade then And my teacher did not know what to do with me (laughs) because at that time you have to think this is eons ago. There was no uh, special classes to put us in, and he was so desperately want to teach me English, assimilate me into um, the U.S. day to day life and in class. So um, he put me, you know, I think I talk about this in my um, submission uh, next to another Chinese girl, uh, so that I could have some conversation or have some, you know, someone to teach me, under, help me understand English. But what he didn't realize was that we spoke different dialects of Chinese. So we really didn't understand each <laughs> other. <laughs> but more importantly, he actually found this book called The Fifth Chinese Daughter uh, and really thought I would relate to it uh, because, you know, it is about immigrant family living in San Francisco Chinatown. Um, so I, I, I got I received this book um toward the end of my you know fourth grade and beginning of my fifth grade and of course at that time I really understood very little of this book because I my English was just not good enough and so I probably read it for the first time and just you know really gleaned very little from it but as I got into my fifth grade, you know, toward the end of my elementary school, I finally understood a little bit more. So it, it really meant, is really, it has traveled through life with me because it's really helping me understand there's someone very similar to me that is trying to assimilate two cultures. So it's very meaningful for me personally.
0: Mm. And I see, uh, of course, in this particular year when, when a foreign language film uh, won the Academy Award for the first time for the best uh, picture. and I know that you both as a woman and as an Asian woman, you really well from my perception I know you you, you don't um, you don't phrase it this way yourself, but you really broke glass ceilings and have been a role model for thousands of People, um, all kinds of people, but then I think, in particular, for women and Asians, uh, given what you've done in your career, how do you f- how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I think, first of all, I think it's really great to see because I think the world is much more globalized. What I mean by that is, the world it feels a little bit more one. You could be connected to so many different countries and cultures, um, literally. Every day, you, I, I wouldn't think twice about reading an email from, you know, somewhere else or from, I mean, we're really intertwined today more than ever before. So I think it's actually very exciting, but it's also very um, interesting that now, you know, in every aspect of our lives that we see that intertwine or in um, the intersection of many different country and culture together, you know, all in one we're in it together. No matter I mean, look at this, you know, in everything we do today. I mean, that's, you know, to me is, it's always been like that for me, but Mm -hmm. I think it's even more so for everybody, you know, in the world today.
0: Well, Uh, how how do you feel when, because you speak often and, and you're very, I didn't mention you're very civically involved. As I said, you're on the advisory board of the world is just a book away. And I, you've been on, um, many different boards and on the C100, the 100 most influential Chinese people. So you speak at a lot of events and you speak with students, um, Chinese people in America, I should say. You speak at a lot of events and you speak with a lot of people. How do you feel when young people come up to you and tell you how you've inspired them or <laughs> or moved them?
1: Um, first of all, I used to, you know, the first time when people say that, I was. This is surprising, and I don't think too much about it. But as as it, years went by, actually, I got used to it, and you really realize um, how you can touch people in many different ways. Um, just even literally, I mean, I, if you know, I always feel like I'm aging. I'm much older now than when we met twenty years ago. And in fact, there's a new generation of new leaders. But I got this um, through LinkedIn a I think she was 14 years old high school student a Chinese high school student and she she sent me an um a message and saying that you know she wants to go into fashion she wants to be a a CEO one day blah 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 blah, blah. And, and she said my parents think I'm crazy so I keep you know telling her that telling them that I read about you and I think I can do that if you could do it I can too I'm like okay she is literally 14 years old and she's reaching out to me and so sometimes you think that there's just no way that you can touch people or connect with them or inspire them to think differently but you can um -hmm. I think it's 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 surprising because I you know I can't I I tend to think that I'm toward the end of my career. And there's so many new and upcoming leaders that is probably even more relevant. But I think that uh, w- how I look at it is whenever I could touch someone, whenever I could encourage someone, inspire any someone, I- I'd be more than happy to. Because this certainly has happened for me that um, you know we all have our mentors and people we look up to. Um, so uh, if I could even play a small part in someone's life it, It's really, it's more than my pleasure.
0: Well, you, uh, being for, for me at times, even though I've interviewed many CEOs and, and people who've been in charge of multi-billion dollar corporations, I mean, to think that you started something from nothing from scratch, from developing the logo, uh, and the name of old Navy to, uh, I think when I interviewed you the first time, it was almost 900, in, uh, 900 stores and over six billion in revenue. Um, how how does that happen?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, you first of all, I think the most important thing to really really say is that it, I didn't do it by myself. I was part of a team, um, you know, and we were led by Mickey Drexler, who at that time was the CEO of Gap Inc. Um, so I think that's probably the most important thing that you have to um, realize that you, you're never by yourself or you um it's you know, you need people by your side or with you uh, working towards something. So the most important thing I always tell someone is really making sure you have a great team of people that working with you and that you have a common goal and line, but also have healthy debates. Um, I was fortunate that you know we started our navy with 11 people i was probably employed i was employee number 1 but the people we had was unbelievable from the head of marketing who really um, to the head of store that really rolled out like you say 900 plus store the branding you know the development of the brand and you know the dominant of our product i mean i could go on and on there's so many people involved in it and I think when you have one common goal, is almost, you know, impossible not to be able to achieve the, the impossible. And uh, I was very fortunate to work with incredible people. Uh, and to this day, um, I thank my lucky star that um, I, I was able to meet them and met them and learn from them and create something that is long-lasting like Old Navy. So. I would say that's probably the number one thing is <laughs> never about yourself. It's really about everybody else.
0: Well, and you've also, you also shared something with me um, multiple times um, that y- you were very good at not know at knowing what you're not good
1: at. Yeah. I think, I think every good leader has to be pretty self-aware. You know, I think you have to know what you, what you're of value. And it could change. It could be different with every group. And that what you're really good at, what do you bring forth? And then what you're not good at and making sure that you really surround with people that are really good at certain things that you're not. I mean, that's what's called a team, right? If everybody's exactly like you, you they don't need many. <laughs> you know, you could just be that person. But um, I think that when you, and that's exactly what happened, you know, maybe. um. We started with, you know, one leader, Mickey Drexler. And then there was four of us that was the charge of every, diff, you know, different functions. And we were all really, really good in certain functions. But what we were even better when, when we're together. Uh, and we also have an incredible uh, trust in each other. Uh, I think that really also helps. And I also always try to hire people that are smarter and better than I am because you could also learn from them as much as they learn from you and not be afraid to do that. Uh, it's probably, probably one of the smartest thing I ever done <laughs> is, um, hire smart people, passionate people, people that could see the possibility into in, in something. Um, I would say probably is probably the best thing I've ever done in my career.
0: Do you think that's your, your greatest strength or how would you define your greatest strength?
1: I would say my greatest strength is uh, recognizing talent, bringing people together um, and, you know, really set a common goal. But, but not be afraid to also stop and listen and correct courses. Um, I would say that that's probably my strength, um, you know, is, is really bringing a team together
0: and i I love the story about how you got started in your career, uh, as you know, and I think as our listeners know, I teach at the University of Southern California. I'm with undergrads a lot who of course, I remember that period being very stressed out, not knowing what to do in life and you were in a similar boat, and your your husband <laughs>
1: yes. your current,
0: your husband Mitch, who I don't think was your husband at that time, gave you yes. some advice. Can you share what yes. that advice was?
1: Yes, uh, as you know, um, I was a home economics major. Of course, people always scratch their heads, like, what is that? Uh, You have to realize that was, what, many moons ago, 40 years ago. So I wanted to be a home economics teacher uh, in maybe junior high school and high school. But before I graduate, you know, they decided it wasn't academic enough in the California school system. And so before I even graduate, I was out of a job so of course my boyfriend who is now my husband said oh you should take some business class you could always find a job there uh or you know you should be a buyer because you know you love clothes i mean okay you have to remember we were what 18 19 20 <laughs> years old this is the kind of conversation you have and so i did i took some marketing classes which i loved and i took some design classes um just to make sure, and I I did go into Mervyn's as an executive trainee, and I did become a buyer. And actually, um, you know, there's very few things in life that is better than you you anticipate. I just, and you know what, this, you know, job or this uh, feel, this profession in my career is better than I ever thought. Um, I loved every part of being in retail uh, in buying. Uh, so it was certainly the right call. So sometimes, you know, when you think something is closed off, it's kind of the end of the world or something. And there's something else. I think if you are open-minded to open up yourself and be, uh, and be able to see other possibility, and that's exactly what happened in my career. And, um, and actually, as you said, it worked out pretty well for me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I would say yeah, pretty well as would would be an understatement. And and you say you said you know, that's the kind of conversation you have at that age. And yet, I think there's a lot of wisdom in what Mitch said because what he's essentially saying is gravitate towards what you love.
1: Yes. And, and you know, it's so true. But sometimes you you're so set in one way because you're like. Of course, I you know I thought I would be so happy being a home ec teacher, and probably would have been, but then he made me stop and say, "What else do you love? What makes you happy? What are you good at?" You know, things that sometimes I think the simple question helps you. It doesn't have to be deep, you know. It is that sometimes that it's just that few simple questions help me answer a lot of my future. So.
0: And I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he really followed that and had a major shift in careers a little later in life and started your family's winery.
1: Yes, exactly. He, of course, was in business and um, did a lot of import-export. And we both, you know, love the Sonoma-Napa Valley. So we bought a place uh, over 20 years ago. And he knew nothing about wine except, like, drinking it. (laughs) 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 And we bought a property and he graded the land, he hired people, learn about it. Now we have, our whole family actually are very involved in our vineyard up in you know Glen Island in Sonoma. So he's one of those really, um, how should I say, Renaissance kind of guy that he, you know, he follows his heart quite a bit, you know, what he loves doing. And he doesn't mind, you know, get his, roll up his sleeve and really get down to, you know, the earth and he loves that um, so we have now have a fam- a small family vineyard and my son actually Corbin is um, involved in it so it's my two daughters so um, it's become a, you know it's a, a, a totally a different than what uh, he's ever decided to do my husband and so because he loves something he follow his heart and I really believe in life you need to do that more often than not.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very important for all all of us to hear, not just not just younger people because as you said Mitch did that a bit later in life that following your heart and following what you love really can doesn't mean it's easy, but it can open doors and Lead to obviously you've had an amazing career, and now your family has this winery. And I just want to mention for our listeners: how do they? Uh, it's Corbin Cameron, and yes. and how do they find it online?
1: It's Corbin Cameron with with a K. It's uh, my twins, my son and my daughter. K O R B I N, and Cameron is K A M E R O N. dot com. Um, as you know, we actually lost our house. Yeah. Um, during the big fire in twenty um, what seventeen, and um, we're in the midst of rebuilding uh, our house, and it has been uh, certainly a labor of love, and we're uh, probably thirty percent into building. Hopefully, we will we'll have it done by end of this year. Um, so, it's... well,
0: ne- never a dull moment in <laughs> in your life, right?
1: <laughs> no, never.
0: <laughs> now, I w- I want to reflect a little bit because you. Um, you took over Charlotte Roos and um, I remember you're saying to me at around that time that you expected that technology would cause an evolution in the way people buy and retail, but you weren't really expecting, or no one was really expecting, a revolution. Yes. And and the whole field changed. So, what, what's your view of that, and and what is it going to look like for people to shop in the future?
1: Well, first of all, uh, you're right, it, retail has been a revolution, or it could be evolution into a revolution. You know, I think consumer shopping and buying has changed. I mean, just think about yourself, how you shop and how you buy today is different than, what, 5, 10, 20 mm-hmm. years ago. And, cons- you know, a customer's expectation has changed, too. Um, you know, I think my motto today is really you, ha- you have to meet the customer where, wherever and whenever they want they are. Versus today, you know, the old days you think about a customer has to go to wherever they want to buy something. Today, you could literally be wherever you are and you could be assessed to anything you want in the world, practically. So it's really about the brand and then making it accessible to them. I think it's really the key today. Um, Whatever that is, either online, which you have to have the best website possible, Oh, your mobile I mean how many people shop on mobile today lots more yeah. and They will continue to um, so I, I would say that you know or if they want to go to the store your store has to have an incredible experience the best experience for them so I think it's really important to you know the old days I think as a customer you feel like you're one of the many people out there off the mass today I think that customer expect um, a more one-to-one relationship uh, with with um, with the customer and I think that our expectation is that you need to know you know you need to know about me what I want and how do you serve it up to me so I think the whole role of retail has changed dramatically uh, and I think it, it will keep evolving it has it's not it's not, not going to stop um, so I think that Um, you know we have more information about a customer today than ever before and before we we wouldn't even know what to do with it today you know there's so much information that we could actually help uh, the customer search we could help them you know deliver it faster to them anticipate their needs I mean I think a retailer is not serving up the best merchandise or best product of course that's you have to have that. That's that's an entry uh, into business, right? But all the other things is important too. Um, so, and and I think you and I touched on earlier about just the global economy, how we are intertwined. Literally, you know, if you 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 could shop, you could be in your desk, in your <laughs> in your sofa, and you could shop around the world today. Yeah, I mean that's pretty unbelievable, isn't it?
0: It's incredible, and do you do you think <laughs> I'm I'm noticing all of these uh, even around? I live in Santa Monica, as you know, and yes. I'm seeing the the closure of the Macy's and the yes. close and, and and Barney's, which I know you were involved with at one point on the board of. And I love Barney's and the closure <laughs> of Barney's, and I, I see know. so it's many so, so many brick and mortar closing. Does brick and mortar have a future in this mix, or will we just see it? Do you think eventually going away altogether?
1: No, no. I absolutely think there's a mix. There, um, first of all, I think we would just overstore. We don't need as many stores as, as we used to, as we just talked about, because there's so many, you know, ways that you could connect and buy, right? So, do you need to go to a physical store? No, but pe- there. I mean, physical store is still very important. It's still part of the mix. It's just not the entire mix, right? Um, and I think. Going to a store also needs to be inspiring. I mean, you have to have the best experience. You have to have the really great service. Uh, I think before when we had so many stores, we just weren't living up to some of our customers' expectation. So I think that, I mean, even now, I mean, there's some direct-to-consumer online brands that have open stores. I mean, think about Warby Parker, right? Or Casper, I mean, I could go on and on. That started as online and now have store. Uh, so I think you need both. Um, there's times that you you are you need convenience, and there's times you want to touch and feel. So um, I don't think stores are going away. It's just we don't need as many of them, and that's why you see all this closure. Um, we don't need hundreds and thousands, you know of you know, Macy's or something. I mean, I I think they're closing what 125 more store in the next three years. So we don't need some of them, but, um, certainly some of them will be here to stay.
0: And I know that for you, or uh, this is, this comes from our texting back and forth that you've, that you've been taking a bit of a break now. Um, what, what, um, but I know that you're not too good at the taking the brag part. Um, <laughs> so what, what am what, I
1: up to? Yeah.
0: What are you, what, what's, what's next? What are you up to? What well, are you thinking about? Well,
1: as you know, I, I do sit on a few boards, which I love. I, you know, I sit on the Levi's board, the paper source board and the Poshmark board. And, um, and I actually really have enjoyed it immensely, uh, is about being in a business, uh, and I have a different seat at the table. Uh, so, and, and uh, learning and understanding new customers and new channels and new business has been actually very um, fun and joyful for me and satisfying. Uh, but in the meantime, I am doing something new and something fun. Uh, as you know, I love to cook. And uh, I'm starting to write a cookbook, <laughs> which you don't know anything about yet.
0: I didn't know anything about that, no.
1: Yes, you know I love food and my whole family loves food. Um, so, um, people ask me all the time, "Oh, can I have a recipe for this?" Oh what, what about this?" And so I finally am pulling it together and um, putting out a, a book for friends and family. and we'll see uh, where this leads to. I just started it a few months ago, and it's not as easy as I thought. okay, writing a book you you know. Oh but really.
0: I, i had i had no idea it only took 15 I, years i am
1: determined not to take 15 years <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see i am i am uh embarking on something that's really dear to my heart
0: well i as as we've heard is a theme that that this is what you've always done at crossroads that you you follow something that you love and i think that's such an important message for everyone to hear um Jenny, to well now that we know you're you're working on a book, to to just um, touch a little bit about the importance of literacy, and you've been on the WeJava advisory board since we started, since two thousand eight. Why why do you think literacy is important? Why why are literacy and reading important?
1: Well, first of all, I think we all know reading and literacy opens up a whole new world to you. Um, If we don't read, I mean, I think our world would be so narrow. I mean, actually, one of my thing I enjoy the most today that I am no longer working full-time is having time to read. Um, You know, I just didn't, you know, when you're pressed for time, that's sometimes what you give up is time for yourself and time to read. And I think every book, I learn something new or takes me to someplace different. It opens up, you know, a whole new world. So I think it's so important, especially at a young age. Um, even at my age, I feel, I, you know, I still think, uh, you know, nothing is more pleasurable than sitting down with a great book. Uh, and it's so satisfying. So,
0: what, what are you reading now that you could recommend to our listeners? <laughs>
1: it's so funny It's because it really connects well actually the book i'm reading i'm almost finished is called the book of eating which i'm almost uh, laughing it's by adam platt who is the new yorker food critic i'm sure you probably have read about him so actually i follow him for many many years his uh and his writing and it's always has so much humor and wittiness about his writing, so actually this book was given to me i w- I actually was in New york at, um at a um book signing or from him and um it's about his, he and his family's globe trotting life you know is really described meal to meal uh his father. Uh, was in the diplomatic uh, service so they travel in the early years kind of all over Asia from Taiwan to Hong Kong to China to Japan so it really uh, has so much to do with it really relate to my family as you know we I think since our kids were like one years old till they were in the 20s we went on a family vacation or two every year. And we went to a lot in Asia. It's just because, you know, um, Mitch's family is in Hong Kong. So we always wind up there every year. Um, so, and we love to eat. And it's really such an adventure uh, for us as a family. I, I really think is really uh, eating a great meal. is about family, about community. It's about bringing people together, experiencing something incredible. So anyway, <clears throat> this book was, it you know, it it really parallels so much of what uh, we've done um, as a family. So uh, this is what I'm reading. And there was one thing that actually, um, there were several things, but one thing really stood out. It really was about, you know, thinking about what makes you happy, um, which is, you know, again, again, is something that I live by. But having time to think about, you know, um, especially when you go into something that is, is challenging or engaging, or things that is kind of you're in a crossroad or something. And think about, or in public speaking, think about what makes you happy, that it puts you in the right mood to think differently. Um, I think uh, was a great piece of advice in the book, um, which actually mirrors how I think about my life. Um, when there's times that I have to make decisions, I always come back to, well, Jenny, what makes what, think about what makes you happy
0: mm. that's that's really beautiful advice and, and as we've said it's it's emerged as a theme what speaks to your heart what makes you happy from our conversation today jenny i could i could uh i always love our conversations and i could talk for hours but uh, have to bring it to a close and i do want to ask one final question is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners
1: Uh, I think we ended very much exactly what I would ask, you know, leave with your listener is like, think about what makes them happy and not be afraid to go for it.
0: Absolutely. Um, Jenny Ming, it's so fun to catch up with you. We haven't had the chance to talk for such a long time and I look forward to more. And thank you for joining us today on the World is Just a Book Away podcast.
1: Listening to a podcast production of AW360, the year round content destination from Advertising Week. Visit AW360 at 360.advertisingweek.com and be sure to check out the other AW360 podcasts now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Producers on this podcast are Jack Hirschman and Richard Larson, with music provided by Audio Network. For more information on Advertising Week, the world's largest gathering of advertising, marketing, and technology leaders, now in six markets across the globe, visit www.advertisingweek.com.